the last 20% of that is raised so we can leave for the field come September 8th. We'll be able to go to language school. And to be honest with you, uh, sometimes when we speak, especially um, sometimes newer Christians or people that are not real familiar with missions, uh, they will ask us afterwards, they'll say, I don't really understand it. Like, are you really going to move your four kids to Patagonia, 6,000 miles from here, where it's not even warm anymore because we're too close to Antarctica, um, and you're going to live there for the next four years? Like, it doesn't really make sense to them. Why would a, a couple, why would a family choose to do that? And I, I like to illustrate that with a story. In 1865, the Civil War ended. Uh, it was a great time in American history uh, because the South finally surrendered to the North at Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia. And it's such big, exciting news because the four years previous to that, a million Americans died fighting this war. That's more than every American that has died since every war since the Civil War doesn't equal up to a million. A million men died fighting the Civil War. So finally, when victory comes, when the South surrendered, it's really big news. The, the whole country is throwing a party uh, because brothers and, and fathers and sons and uncles are coming home. They, they get to end this war of fighting with each other and finally go home and celebrate this victory that we can finally be at peace once again. Now, the problem is when the surrender happened in Virginia, that news had to spread to battles that were still taking place across the South and all the way over to Texas. So what they did is they sent out men on horseback to ride out across the country to, to battles all across the country to tell them that you can stop fighting the war. It no longer exists. Victory has been won, but these men had to go out and tell them uh, it took six weeks for a rider to get to a battle in Texas. Two weeks after that, there was a naval battle off the coast of Alaska. So for eight weeks of time, I want you to imagine this with me. Victory had been won. The war no longer existed. There was no reason for anyone to die, no reason for any fighting or shooting, but thousands of Americans died fighting a war in those eight weeks of time that didn't exist. Victory had been won for them, but they simply had not been told. So let's relate this to the church. We've been on mission for 2,000 years. If you're sitting here today or watching online, I, I would almost bet that you have heard, as we sang about in the first song today, that you have victory over sin. That because of what Jesus did on the cross for you, before any of us were born, before our future grandchildren and, and great-grandchildren, long before they even were a thought in our minds, that Jesus died for them on a cross. And when he did, on Easter, he, he was resurrected, and we have life eternal because Jesus has life eternal. That we have victory over sin because when Jesus died on the cross, that he, he bought that forgiveness for us that that we have been washed white as snow. So you've probably been told about that at some point. You've probably heard a pastor or a friend or a family member tell you that you have victory over death because of your faith in Jesus, that, that you may not even be aware of this, but you're fighting a daily war against sin, and you have victory over that sin because of Jesus. So for the last 2,000 years, we've been traveling around the world telling people, guys, listen, there's a man named Jesus. He died for you because he loves you and because... Of your faith in him, you have eternal life and forgiveness 
of your sin, for every sin that will come in your future, for my children's and my grandchildren's sin, uh, before they ever thought about sinning, Jesus died for you, so there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's, you, you, can't, you could never be so bad where Jesus did not die for you because it already happened. So we've been doing that for 2,000 years, and an update, as of 2022, we have 7.83 billion people in the world, and 3.28 billion of them have never heard the name of Jesus. If Jesus returns today, if he comes in the clouds part, as Pastor Jordan said, and, and the Lord returns on his on his throne and he comes to rapture up all of us, the bride of Christ, almost half of the world today has never had a chance to respond to his grace. Why would we move to Argentina? What, what makes you compelled to tell your family and your friends about Jesus? Guys, listen, if, when Jesus returns or God forbid that we, we die in a car accident or, or from cancer or whatever it is, that today almost half the world has never heard the name of Jesus. Our mission is not over. Our mission in Argentina, your mission here in Kinsman, Warren, whatever community you live in, you have a huge mission and tremendous potential to reach people for Christ. So uh, in a few moments, we're going to read from Matthew 9. You can turn there if you want. We'll be in verse 37 or it. Scripture will be up on the screen. But I want to argue the case to you this morning that each of us as disciples of Jesus are called to be missionaries, that we are called to live missional lives, that, that we do a lot of great things in life. And, and I'll tell you, here's the problem. The problem is the world tells us that life is about having a good family. I want to have a good job so I can make good money because I want to have a nice house and I want to have nice cars, maybe even a little bit extra to do nice things like vacations, um, celebrate anniversaries. Um, congratulations on that. In, in May, we will be 17 years as well. And so, but oftentimes the world tells us like, that's what life is about. You want to raise your kids so that, you know, they're a little bit better than you, but, you know, maybe not a lot better than you because that doesn't, you know, that would make you feel bad. And uh, so, you know, you want your kids to be a little bit more um, successful or healthier or wealthier than you. And uh, the reality is for disciples, for followers of Jesus, that our life really is about uh, making disciples. Everything else helps us to make disciples. Like we need a job so that we can have a house so we can invite people over to tell them about Jesus. Like we need a car so we can drive to our job so that we have that income. So um, when my neighbor uh, loses their job and they need a little extra help, I can help them financially. So in Matthew 9, I love this. Jesus is, is talking about, he, at this time, he's going around to different cities and he's talking around to different people. And when he goes to these different towns, large crowds of people would come out to hear him. Um, you know, so imagine if Jesus came to Kinsmen tomorrow, like uh, we're, we're going to go out to see him because he's, as he's traveling around ministering to people, he's healing people of like blindness and um, leprosy, people that are, are dead are coming back to life. So all kinds of, of a range of different things, people are coming out to see Jesus. And I, I don't know how it happened 2,000 years ago, but before Jesus would show up in his town, people would find out that he's coming. They would say, hey, 
they would call up their neighbor on their cell phone that didn't exist, and they'd say, Jesus is coming to your town tomorrow. You need to go hear him. He's doing amazing things. He's, he's talking about God in ways we've never heard. And if you're lucky, sometimes he hands out like free lunches. And in a time when restaurants didn't exist, that was kind of a big deal. Um, sometimes I think Jesus was a, you know, maybe long-winded and spoke for a really long time. And so getting a, a free lunch as part of your church service uh, would be really important. So Matthew 9 is one of those times Jesus is entering into a town. There's a large crowd of people there, and before he speaks to them, he calls his disciples over to himself. And it says that Jesus has compassion on the crowd, and, and it's not because they need to be healed. It's not because they're, they're dying of disease or they're hungry and they haven't been fed, but Jesus calls his disciples over, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know, there's so many things I love about this scripture. Like, like one, uh, prayer really matters. Like, if Jesus says prayer matters so much that you can pray to God and he will do things here on earth, like, your prayer life is really, really important. And what a great example that Jesus is saying God uses your prayer life to change the world. God uses your prayer life to change your harvest field. And so I want to touch on this agricultural illustration because Ohio is predominantly agricultural. And I, I love that he uses this illustration because it really uh, connects with me. And the harvest field is plentiful. So uh, in a couple months, the, the farmers around Ohio will be plowing the ground, getting it ready, tilling the soil so that seeds can be planted in early summer. And, and if you don't know this, um, seeds that our farmers plant for corn and for beans are tremendously expensive. Do we have any farmers around here? So, yeah, so you guys know a lot more than I do, but we have genetically modified seeds. So, you know, it's not like they're just getting, you know, really cheap, abundant amounts of seeds, but they've all been modified to withstand drought and chemicals and things like that. And so farmers spend a tremendous amount of money to purchase these seeds. They get the ground ready for them. They, they plant these seeds in the ground and the Lord gives the increase and over the summer, uh, the corn and the beans will all grow and then come October, they should be um, dried and dead enough that they can be harvested. But I want you to imagine with me this illustration that Jesus is using and he's saying that God created the whole world and he created it in a way that is specifically fruitful for human life. And then he uh, prepared it with water and with land and animals and, and plants and crops. And uh, as he did that, then um, people were planted here on this earth. And, and God paid such a high price for you that he gave his own life. Sometimes I think we skim over that, the reality that God became human and took on the penalty of our sin. And it's really quite a big deal. The price that Jesus paid for you and for your neighbors and all 7.8 billion people in the world, it's a tremendously huge price that he paid. Now, now I want you to imagine that like a local farmer here, come October, the, the crops are dead and they haven't fallen to the ground yet. They're ready to be harvested. And the farmer says to you, he calls you up and says, hey, listen, I've planted so many acres of crops, I cannot harvest them all. If you don't come and help me, uh, in a couple of weeks, they're going to fall to the ground and be completely wasted. All the money 
that they've invested in those crops, all the work that's been invested in those crops, it will all be wasted if you don't come and help me bring in these harvest fields. Because there's a very small window of time when the crops dry out before they fall to the ground that they can be harvested. And it's usually just a few weeks. And, if the, and that's why come October you'll see uh, farmers out in the fields at you know, 10, 11, midnight with their lights on harvesting because there's such a small time frame when those crops can be harvested, when they're completely ready to be brought in. And Jesus is saying that's the reality of our world. Think with me for a minute. Uh, back in this time, 2,000 years ago, the average lifespan is less than it is now. But even now, average person lives to be 80 years old, 85 years old, whatever it is. You only have that many years to bring in that harvest that Jesus died for that person. That God created them and planted them in a field on purpose. Listen, if you're like me, you don't, your life is not an accident. My life is not an accident. I wasn't raised and live in Ohio just because I chose to, but because it's where God planted me. And you live where you live today because it's where God has planted you. It's where the Holy Spirit has led you. And your harvest field is dying every day. Harvest fields around the world are dying every day. Statistically, 68,000 people will die today. About 45% of them have never heard the name of Jesus. I'm not talking about Argentina and China and Russia. I'm talking about Ohio, Ohio and Kinsmen and Warren and whatever community you live in. Uh, people from your harvest field will die today. And some of them have never heard the name of Jesus. So Jesus says, pray for people. Pray for workers to go out in the harvest field that the crops are ready. They're, they're, they're ready to be brought in, to be harvested. But people like us, farmers, we need to go and bring in those crops. And, and so I, I love this. Listen, we, we have a prayer life that expands to the whole world. So we can pray for kinsmen. We can pray for our neighbors. We can pray for our school district and our family and our friends. Uh, and, and God will send people there and, and pray for the people that you walk by in Walmart and the people that you're going to sit by at work and the people you'll drive by going to work tomorrow. Pray that God will send someone to those people. And, and I would almost bet that as you do that, uh, a little bit of passion and fire will grow inside of you that uh, maybe God will remind you that I've already sent someone and it's you. As God is sending us to Argentina to bring in some of that crop that he has planted and is ready to be harvested, God has planted you in your community and in your family and in your place of work for those people. But of course, we want to pray for the entire world. And, and listen, if there really are 3.8 billion people around the world that have never heard the name of Jesus, then we need to be praying for that every day. That 68,000 people are dying every single day around the world, and, and thousands of them have never heard the name of Jesus. But but he's saying that our prayers actually change the world. Our prayers actually send people to the world, send people to people like your neighbors as you have been sent. I want to bring this home for you for a minute because, as I said earlier, I'm not, li I'm not lying when I say I have had many thoughts that I am better than the rest of the world because I'm an American and because I'm a Christian. That as America, we've been blessed so greatly by God that 
we just have to be better than other countries because we have more money. You know, like we only have more money because God blessed us, right? I, completely sarcasm, okay? But I, but I have really had thoughts like that, that, you know, we're such a great nation and we help so many other nations because God has blessed us because we're better. Um, the Barna Group is a national study and survey company. They do religious studies um, across the country. And about two years ago, they were commissioned to do a religious study of Gen Z. Gen Z is roughly everyone born from about the year 2000 to now. So uh, every child you know, every baby, every toddler, all the kids over there in kids' church are part of Gen Z. All the high schoolers in here, most college students are part of Gen Z. So they did this national survey of the religious affiliation of Gen Z. And I, I want to explain what they found. But to do that, I, I want to first explain to you that they've been doing this for the last 100 years. And they've been doing religious surveys of every generation of Americans for the last 100 years. And, and here's the trend. You can look this up when you go home. Uh, every generation for the last 100 years, starting from uh, the early 1900s, the percentage of Americans that are atheists has grown in every single generation. It's not flatlined at all. It's never decreased. The percentage of our fellow Americans that we think everyone in America knows about Jesus, the percent of atheists has grown in every single generation. So where we get today with our kids Gen Z, 49% of Gen Z in America are atheists. That's up from me as a millennial, up from Gen X, higher than the boomers and the greatest generation. We are on a trend that has not changed in 100 years. So I want you to think with me, the terrifying fact that my grandkids, maybe your grandkids or your kids will be the first generation in American history where the majority of them are atheists. Unless something hugely, huge changes in America that hasn't happened for the last 100 years. I'm even talking about the Azusa Street Revival, that that didn't change the trend that we're on. That my grandkids, that the next generation, babies being born this year and next year will be the first generation in American history that the majority of them are atheists the potential that we have to reach people for Christ is bigger than it's ever been before in America, in Ohio. We've never been in a harvest field like we are in today. We've never had the, as many opportunities to have neighbors and family and friends and coworkers that have never heard the name of Jesus. Church, listen, I promise you, you know people who have never heard the name of Jesus. I promise you that your school system has kids that maybe the school bus drives by this building every day going to school. Your kids, if you have kids in your school system, I, I promise you that there are kids in your school that have never heard the name of Jesus. They drive by church buildings all the time. There's, there's probably dozens of church buildings within a couple miles of your school. And kids on, on school buses or when their parents are driving them to school tomorrow morning, they'll pass by four, five, six church buildings. They've never been inside one and their parents have never told them about Jesus. A family or a friend or a neighbor has never told them the name of Jesus. Church, hear me out on this. Your opportunity 
to tell someone about Jesus for the very first time is bigger than it's ever been in American history. Your life is not on accident. My life is not that God put us here in Ohio for such a time as this. That God knew that I'm gonna plant these Christians here in these communities because the harvest field is growing. There are more and more people that need to be brought in and harvested for Christ and I need more workers. And so that is why your life has been planted by God in your family and in your place of work, your neighborhood, your community, that you are a missionary sent here by God to bring in the harvest field. And church, I really believe that we have a spiritual responsibility. Listen, we're not responsible to get people to heaven. We're responsible to get people to Jesus. And that is the spiritual responsibility that we've been given. Our life is not just so we can selfishly live. The air that we breathe in today is not so we can make more money tomorrow, but it's so that we can bring people to Jesus. People that you know, people that ride on school buses, your local school system, statistically 49% of the kids that your kids go to school with are atheists. So if you would, uh, as we close, would you stand with me as... I wanna make this really personal to you. And so I, as you stand, I wanna ask you if you would close your eyes for a minute and we really wanna hear from the Holy Spirit today. And let's take a few minutes and, and ask, ask the Holy Spirit, who is it tomorrow? Who's the one person, the one name, the one face, the one individual that I can bring to Jesus? And listen, I, there are thousands of people here that need Jesus, but but you start with one. So close your eyes, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you who is the one person tomorrow that you can have a conversation with over lunch, that you can invite out to lunch. Who tomorrow can you invite to your home, the home that God has blessed you with so that you can bring people to Jesus? What's one family that you can invite to your house for dinner this week so that you can tell them your testimony? What's one coworker that you can talk about how great of a Sunday you had worshiping your Lord and Savior when you go to work tomorrow? So we're gonna take just a moment. I want you to have a minute to think about that and to, for the Holy Spirit to speak that to you. And then the prayer team's gonna be up here at the front. And I really wanna challenge you guys that, listen, God doesn't say you have to come up to the front to be prayed for. But I really believe that it matters because oftentimes we feel God speaking something to our heart like, God, I want to be involved in bringing in this harvest field or God shows you a name or a face, but sometimes we need to take a step of leap, a step of faith and go forward to an altar and to partner with someone else to pray with you and for you that what God is asking you to do, that you will have the passion and the courage and the Holy Spirit anointing to do that. And so as you pray about who God is asking you to speak to, as you pray about who that person is or get a picture of their faith, their face, I, I wanna encourage you to come forward and say, I want to be involved in bringing in my harvest field. I want to be a harvester alongside of Jesus and everyone else that 
if God is speaking to you at all with this, if God is encouraging you, inspiring you with this message, I, I want to ask you that you come forward and be prayed for this. People across the room waiting for you to pray with them that if God is speaking to you and you want to be a part of changing your school system. Listen, guys, if you have nothing else to pray for, pray that your school would be different. That's to, if right now it's 49%, but next year it's not going to be like that. Next year it's going to be 45%, or it's going to be 38%, or it's going to be 30%. But our school system here, we will not let our kids die and go to hell because we were quiet. We will not let the kids of our community die and go to hell because I didn't want to tell them about Christ, because I didn't want to talk to their parents and invite them over to my house to tell them about Jesus. So I'm going to stop talking. I encourage you, if God is speaking to you, find someone to pray with this morning and be encouraged with what God is asking you to do.